Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Number 877-381-3811, There was a piece in Politico a year or so ago, and welcome, by the way, that, uh, that reported the fusion of George Soros and Charles Koch. Charles Koch being a libertarian um, and George Soros being what George Soros is, in my view, an anti-American. And remember, I've talked to you before about how the isolationists seem to have voices on the radical left and among this weird Putin romanticizing right. And they do overlap. And so they put this group together, this so-called nonprofit, the Quincy Group. And the position of Charles Koch and George Soros is to effectively, quote-unquote, keep America out of endless wars. And now you hear this propaganda throughout the media with a handful of senators and House members and they act like we're the ones creating war situations. Now, to oppose this kind of passivity and pacifism and isolationism is not to support endless wars or radical interventionism. Is not to support necessarily a Lindsey Graham or sort of a McCain type of attitude, which is interventionism now, interventionism yesterday, interventionism today. No. Some of you are too young to really remember Ronald Reagan. 
Or because of all the propaganda you're hearing, some of you don't know what he stood for or what the Reagan doctrine stood for. You see, up until Ronald Reagan, Democrats and Republicans alike in Washington, D.C., took on the attitude of FDR and Truman, which was to sort of, uh, when it came to the Soviet Union and other major enemies, the status quo, to contain them. Contain them. But Reagan's position was you can't contain them. They're spreading into Africa. They're spreading into our hemisphere in violation of the Monroe Doctrine. And so while we play the game of containment, they play the game of confrontation. So the Reagan Doctrine is based on a principle that you go on the offensive. Wisely, prudently, but no more containment. And he was therefore considered, particularly by Washington and the Republican establishment, as you can imagine, by the Putinoids today, as uh, wildly out of control. And they used the word, interestingly enough, escalation, as you hear the Putinoids, isolationists, pacifists of today. They use the same word, escalation. Reagan's going to escalate. They also said that the Soviet Union would use its nukes against the United States and its allies. So you're getting basically a regurgitation of the arguments that were used by the Democrat and Republican establishments in Washington, D.C., even though the Putinoids pretend that they're somehow plowing new ground. They're not plowing new ground. These were the arguments that were made by the likes of Jimmy Carter. by the likes of George McGovern that are made by the likes today of a Bernie Sanders. And Reagan would have rejected all of it. As Donald Trump has rejected, if not all of it, a lot of it. I just want you to hear a relatively short compilation of some of the things Reagan said during his presidency, an enormously successful presidency, where he got enormous popular votes, won the Electoral College, numbers never seen before since probably George Washington, and had a fantastically successful foreign policy. Take a listen. This is from... Again, a group of his speeches, just clips from his speeches, some of his best speeches against tyranny. Cut 24, go. And to every person trapped in tyranny, whether in the Ukraine, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, Cuba, or Vietnam, we send our love and support and tell them they are not alone. message must be your struggle is our struggle your dream is our dream and someday you too will be free as 
As Pope John Paul told his beloved Poles, we are blessed by divine heritage. We are children of God and we cannot be slaves. History shows that it is precisely when totalitarian regimes begin to decay from within, it is precisely when they feel the first real stirrings of domestic unrest that they seek to reassure their own people of their vast and unchallengeable power through imperialistic expansion or foreign adventure. So the era ahead of us is one that will see grave challenges and be fraught with danger. Yet it's one that I firmly believe will end in the triumph of the civilized world and the supremacy of its beliefs in individual liberty, representative government, and the rule of law under God. And that's why we must now summon all the nations of the world to a crusade for freedom and a global campaign for the rights of the individual. I look at you and I know I'm looking at people who have seen and suffered the full gamut of totalitarian terror. Some of you lost friends and loved ones in your struggles, and some of you risk your lives and all your earthly belongings, and you will bear scars for the rest of your life. You are men and women of courage, heroes who have devoted a lifetime to struggle for God's greatest gift, for freedom, and for that I can only say I'm honored to be here with you today and I'll be proud to stand by you always. Today the goals of our foreign policy are the same as they have been for the last four decades. We stand against totalitarianism, particularly imperialist expansionist totalitarianism. We are for democracy and human rights and we are for a worldwide prosperity that only free economies can give and the pursuit of human happiness that only political freedom allows. Tyrants tyrannize because that's what they do for a living. But the ungodly force called tyranny still cannot rid the human soul of its freedom no matter how hard it may try. Tyrants can defy the benefits of, or deny the benefits, I should say, of freedom to their peoples, can kill freedom by killing free people. But freedom itself they cannot have. For one thing, people like you won't allow it nor will that higher being allow it. Our greatest freedom, the freedom to choose right from wrong, cannot be willed away by the tyrants. For God has given all humankind the gift of knowing right from wrong and the responsibility to choose between them. This, my friends, is the essence of freedom, that we follow the biblical admonition, I have set before you life and death, therefore choose life. That tyranny is a parasite that saps the strength of a nation in its sway. That like those who lived under Macbeth's tyranny, the tyrannized millions will ever cry out. Our country sinks beneath the yoke. It weeps, it bleeds, and each new day a gash is added to her wounds. Tyranny fails. Freedom works. These facts, so little accepted only a decade ago, are now indisputable. To all those trapped in tyranny, wherever they may be, let us speak with one voice, not as Republicans or Democrats, but as Americans, saying, you are not alone. Your dreams are not in vain. Hold on to your dreams because the tide of the future is a freedom tide and totalitarianism cannot hold it back. 
You can imagine how Reagan and his speeches would be treated today by the Putin wing of the Republican Party and the Putin wing of the Democrat Party and the Putinoids in the media. He'd be denounced. He'd be trashed. All right. As Lee Edwards, one of the great conservatives, and Elizabeth Spalding put in their book A Brief History of the Cold War. When Reagan took over, within the free world, the Atlantic Alliance was strained to counter the deployment of the late 70s of Soviet SS-20 intermediate-range nuclear missiles. Aimed at major European cities, NATO proposed a dual-track approach. Negotiations to remove the missiles and the deployment of U.S. Pershing II and cruise missiles aimed at Soviet cities. The latter sparked a popular movement in Western Europe, aided and abetted by the Kremlin to freeze NATO's deployment of nuclear weapons, and Western European governments wavered in the resolve to counter the Soviets, even on their own soil. Reagan put the deployment of the U.R. missiles at the center of his new foreign policy. He forged a close friendship with British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher and sought the support of other Western European leaders, particularly Chancellor Helmut Kohl of West Germany. Unlike the so-called foreign policy realists who viewed all regimes through the same lens, and you have an interesting sort of perverse juxtaposition today with the isolationist pacifist Putin wing of the Republican Party, among others, is actually part of the old so-called realist wing of the Republican Party and the Washington establishment. It was Reagan who stirred the pot and changed our position from hapless to on the offense. Reagan placed regime differences at the heart of his understanding of the Cold War. With his modest Illinois roots and biblical Christian faith learned from his mother, He emerged as a screen star and a committed anti-communist, fighting communist efforts to take over the Hollywood trade unions in the post-war period. Poor eyesight kept him stateside with the Army during World War II, but his varied experiences contributed to his application of the need for military strength. Two terms as Republican governor of California confirmed his conservative pro-freedom political views. Unlike Truman... He sought in the circumstances of the 1980s not merely to contain the Soviet Union, but to defeat it. Reagan endorsed the strategy and insights of NSC 68 shortly after that key document of the Truman administration was declassified and published in 1975, devoting several of his radio commentaries to it. Also in the 1970s, he recalled he called for reductions, not limitations in U.S. and Soviet armaments through verifiable agreements. He identified as central weaknesses of the Soviet bloc the denial of religious freedom and the inability to provide consumer goods. He stressed that Pope John Paul II's trip to Poland in 1979 revealed that communist atheism, ruthlessly imposed for decades, had failed to stop the people from believing in God. 1979 radio commentary, Reagan remarked the Pope in his final appearance had invited the people to bring forward several large crosses for his blessings. Suddenly there was a movement among the multitude of young people before him in Poland. All these policy positions formed a main theme of Reagan's 1980 presidential campaign. 
Real peace would come through the military strength of the West, along with its political and economic re- uh, freedom. <coughs> for Reagan, as for Truman, the gravest threat to the U.S. and the free world came from the Soviet Union. Its continuing imperialist designs on every continent demanded a new Cold War. When we come back, when we come back, briefly, a little bit more. I'll be right back. Mark in. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever, and it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why Imprimus, Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty, is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillsdale and I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. So the Reagan doctrine was a break uh, from the Cold War position of almost half a century or more. And he said, while we sit here and try and contain the enemy, the enemy advances throughout the globe. And we cannot have another World War II. And just as today, he was accused of wanting to have a nuclear war with the Soviet Union. He was accused of being naive. He was accused of being a warmonger. He went against the Republican establishment. He went against the Washington defense bureaucracy. And he took on the Soviets, not with troops, but he took them on, whether it was Angola or Nicaragua, whether it was uh, at that time Afghanistan, where we actually forced the communists out of there, and really every other corner of the earth. His goal was to defeat the Soviet Union. This is why I keep saying, apparently the Putinoids of today do not want the Ukrainians to defeat the Russians. I do. For all the same reasons Reagan would have as well, or Churchill for that matter. More when I return. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever, and it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why Imprimus, Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty, is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today at 
absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillstone and I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now. L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Mark Levin, America's mentor of conservatism. Call now at 877-381-3811. Some of our brothers and sisters in the conservative movement, or whatever they call themselves, want you to believe that I and you are in a small minority and they are revolutionizing the Republican Party. They're doing no such thing. Their ideological approach was really uh, Taft's ideological approach in the 1950s. And, of course, was Pat Buchanan's ideological approach today. And doesn't keep us out of war. As Charles Lindbergh would learn, Charles Lindbergh, great hero as you know, first to fly around the world. He was part of a movement he helped found and led 800,000 to 1 million members prior to us being attacked at Pearl Harbor of his own, I guess, America First movement. And they were absolutely opposed to America's intervention in foreign activities, but particularly foreign wars. And they were very adamant about this. Even as Hitler rose, even as Tojo rose, even as Mussolini rose, even as they were attacking European countries and allies of ours at war with Britain, they opposed the Lend-Lease program, which was a way that FTR tried to get around the law to get some armaments to the, to the Brits so they could help defend them help defend themselves. And they had a lot of power, particularly within the Republican Party, but not alone, in the media and the Democrat Party. Then we were hit at Pearl Harbor. And four days later, they abandoned the organization. And Charles Lindbergh, at that point, urged all Americans to unite to fight these powers. And he would go on to fight to fly 50 flights as a civilian during the course of the war. And after the war, he was very much involved in helping to build up Europe and so forth. See, he saw how wrong he had been. How wrong he had been. And there's a point at which you wait, you wait, you wait, you wait, you pretend you're containing, you ignore what's taking place, or you spin it. And then next thing you know, you're involved in a world war. And you're on defense from day one. And that means you're going to lose a hell of a lot more people than if you're proactive. And this is what Reagan understood. You don't go to war by just sending troops in. and some, No, you have to assume that the president's going to use his head. This is what Trump did, in my view. Used his head. He knew when to act and when not to act. And you must keep in mind, guys like Rand Paul and others, they opposed Trump taking out Soleimani. They were very sympathetic to the Iranian regime. Walking around with the Iranian ambassador to the UN here in Washington, D.C., unbelievable. 
So coddling Putin, coddling the Iranians, is that really the new way forward for the Republican Party? I don't think so. We're going to leave an awful lot of Americans behind. George Soros and Charles Koch team up for a common cause, an end to, quote-unquote, endless wars. And this is what they called them when Lindbergh was on the wrong side prior to the attack at Pearl Harbor. These endless wars they were talking about. That we were escalating. And this is from Vox. The controversial billionaire philanthropists are launching a new anti-interventionist think tank. I, I dread the language that is used by the media, how it's poorly used. There's an unlikely pair of philanthropists they wrote a couple of years back behind Washington's newest think tank. The new outfit launched yesterday is called the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statescraft. And it's funded by liberal billionaire George Soros, they write, and libertarian billionaire Charles Koch. Its mission to make the case against foreign wars. The Boston Globe broke the story, Boston Globe calling the team up one of the most remarkable partnerships in modern American political history. So you have about 60 to $70 billion behind this movement. Soros is, of course, widely hated on the right for his support, they write, of liberalized immigration. No, he's hated on the right because he hates America and he's undermining our society. He's frequently the target of anti-Semitic conspiracy theorists, not conspiracy theorists. The man did what he did. During the Third Reich. Koch, meanwhile, has come under fire for his contributions to the Republican Party and his opposition to climate policies. I will remind you that Koch did not support Donald Trump for president either time. Either time. The Quincy Institute is named after U.S. President John Quincy Adams, who said in an 1821 speech that America goes not abroad in search of monsters to destroy. A statement on its bare-bones website, the Institute argues that we've been betrayed that vision, that the consequences have been horrific, both from a humanitarian standpoint and in terms of America's national interests, and they go on. You hear the same propaganda by the Putin wing of the GOP, and as well as the Democrat Party, and certainly in the media, and certainly in the media. Now, I give you that background because there's a piece now in another left-wing site. Well, actually, same left-wing site, Axios. Well, Vox and Axios are different, but same in terms of ideology. And the headline is, from 10 hours ago, Republicans Plot Foreign Intervention Pullback by Lachlan Marquet. Republican lawmakers following former President Trump's lead are working with a wide range of conservative groups to pull back American support for Ukraine, the Middle East, and Europe officials. To The Middle East means probably Israel and moderate Arab countries that are taking on Iran. Why it matters, they write, with the GOP poised to retake control of the House and perhaps the Senate next year, this contention could grow substantially. Trump is backing candidates who, <coughs> excuse me, who explicitly broken with Republican foreign policy orthodoxy. 11 Senate GOP no votes on a $40 billion Ukraine aid package last week was the clearest sign of the new coalition's influence is expanding. Well, look, about $10 billion of that $40 billion should never have been in there. I would agree with that 100%. 
Senator Rand Paul, who led the Senate opposition, huddled in his office with several of the coalition's key players before the House voted on the measure earlier this month. They included representatives from Koch Political Network, the Cato Institute, which Koch founded, populist-oriented group American Moment, that means radical left, and the American Conservative Magazine, which is basically a Buchananite magazine, according to a person who attended. Quote, promoting a realist foreign policy agenda. Hear that? What did you hear me say what Reagan attacked? These so-called Washington realists. The so-called Washington real, in other words, the pacifists, the isolationists of today, they can point to our interventions here, there, and elsewhere. But they are the same mouthpieces and the same ideology that Reagan opposed and fought. Thank God. Promoting a realist foreign policy agenda has always been a priority of doctors, Dr. Paul's, which is why he has been holding meetings with interested groups and fellow members for years and will continue to do so in the future, a Paul spokesperson told Axios. Well, did he walk the U.N. ambassador from Iran around Washington or not? Did he speak to him frequently or not? If I'm wrong, I want to be corrected. But that's what I read at the time, right, Mr. Producer? I think we read it on the air. Did he oppose the killing of Soleimani as a bridge too far, as a provocation? He did, and so did the other Putinoids in the media and in the Republican Party and elsewhere. Why it matters. They discuss messaging and strategy on Ukraine, but also U.S. foreign policy more generally. So they put out the talking points that you're hearing today. The source described the atmosphere as upbeat, with Paul seeing the Ukraine vote as a catalyst for self-described realist elements in the party, seeking to pull the U.S. back from deeper military involvement in Europe, the Middle East, and elsewhere. And it goes on. The Heritage Foundation is now involved, as we see here. We're going to come out on the back end of this, probably in a period of months, but certainly by 2024, with a strong conservative and libertarian consensus about a more restrained but still very robust American foreign policy, said Kevin Roberts, who late last year took over as president of the Conservative Heritage Foundation. Uh, At least one person has resigned there based on where Heritage has gone with this. This is not a traditional American foreign policy being promoted by Heritage, Cato, these left-wing groups, Soros, Koch. You notice neither Soros nor Koch accept conservatism at all. Koch has never been a conservative. And he has said so. And Soros has been what he's been. Of course. Let's see here. Robert said, Heritage's rank-and-file donors have generally come down firmly on the restraint side of foreign policy. I favor the restraint side of foreign policy, whatever that means. Former Trump budget director Russ Vaught, a Heritage alum, was highly active in the Ukraine aid fight via his new organization, the Center for Renewing America. In other words, opposing it. So if these guys had had their way, Putin would have cut through Ukraine like crap through a goose and be on to the NATO countries. And then what? These phony peaceniks. Then what? Yeah, I wonder. 
And he goes on, who's funding them? Tech mogul Peter Thiel, there he is again, is bankrolling political efforts for more populist candidates. Let me ask you about populist candidates. Some guy, David Sachs, another billionaire, apparently he's involved in this too. Let me ask you a question. I've told you this before, populist movement. We're not a democracy, we're a republic. Do you want a democracy? And what happens if we lose our votes and our unalienable rights? What happens to the Second Amendment? What happens to freedom of speech? In a democracy, you lose them if you're not in the majority. They vote as they wish. In a republic, these are unalienable rights. They're not susceptible to popular will or the majority. Exactly what the framers were talking about. Exactly what the framers opposed. So I reject this. Because I believe in peace through strength. I reject this because I know this will create another war environment. Big time war environment. That when we're supporting the Ukrainians without troops and without an air force, that's very important. That is not our troops or air force. As Reagan defeated the Soviets, whether in Afghanistan Yes, in Nicaragua when he was president, for which he almost lost his presidency. In Angola, all over Europe, hundreds of millions of people freed, hundreds of millions of people freed behind the so-called Iron Curtain. Do we ever learn from our own experiences? Isn't this one of the things we conservatives pride ourselves on? Learning from experience? Give me one example where genocidal regimes on the move, working with each other, colluding, conspiring with each other. One example where timidity, passivity, passivism, isolationism, call it whatever you want, has succeeded in saving the people who promote it. There is none. Even Finland has figured this out. Finland, which has been neutral forever. Neutral during the entirety of World War II because it didn't want Stalin invading them. Neutral right up. Right up. Until Putin invaded Ukraine. And they said, holy crap. This neutrality doesn't work. And have now asked to be part of NATO. Because they're scared to death. And they've been supplying the Ukrainians. And they're right on the border. Right on the border with the Big Bear. Right there. Nothing between them and the Big Bear. And by the way, those people can fight really tough too. They can fight like hell too. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever, and it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why Imprimus, Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty, is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. 
These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillsdale and I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Tell me, is communist China a threat to the United States? It's a direct threat, isn't it? In fact, some of the Putinoids point that out. And then they stop. Do they recommend that we arm up the Taiwanese? Well, if they do, why don't they say it? Why don't they say it? You'll notice the the comrades around Joe Biden when he talks about, yes, we'll take on the Chinese if they invade Taiwan. You'll notice how the Putinoids and the media, the hard left, immediately attack Biden. That they share exactly the same position. So they talk tough on China. Well, China instead of Russia. But they don't want to do anything about China. What do they want to do? What do they want to do? They're not providing Taiwan with the armaments it needs to defend itself. So what do they want to do? The Putinoids don't even recommend anything. Just focus on China. Okay, I'm focused. Now what? They don't have a well-thought-out ideology in the least. Tell me, were we wrong to take on the Soviets when they went into Cuba? We were? Why? Because they were putting nuclear missiles there? Oh, I see. So when you have more advanced nuclear missiles that can travel thousands and thousands of miles and hit any quarter in the United States from a country in Europe or perhaps one in Iran... How is that any different? I'd love to question these people who will never come on this program. Never. All they do is throw around their bumper. Hey, populism. Hey, nationalism. Hey, America first. Hey. Hey. Why don't you shut up a minute and let's get into this. No, no. Can't do that. And so what will happen is you see, I'm a warmonger, a neocon, a this, that. It's much like the Marxist left, these attacks. Oh, you disagree with me? You must be a white supremacist. You must believe in a white dominant society. Ooh, I don't have time to deal with stupid people saying stupid things. I'll be right back. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number... 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Keep in mind, the vast majority of Americans, over 80%, 
And the vast, vast majority of Republicans want us to help Ukraine. But they don't want us to send in troops and so forth. And we're not. And we're not. So this, uh, this group is not in sync with either their party or the American people, quite frankly. Now, this group that was set up, this uh, Quincy Institute, more like the Quisling Institute, on the Koch side, uh, there are, there's one author, maybe two authors, as I recall, that wrote about the Israel lobby, who believe there is a Zionist shadow government creating conflicts for Israel's interests. I'm just telling you the truth. So this is what the Quincy or Quisling Institute with Koch and Soros has come to. And I don't believe the Republican Party should be standing for totalitarianism or genocidal maniacs. Apart from all the rest of it, that seems to me to be a losing political position. And remember, when Reagan came in, what was our policy? Containment and detente. And he rejected both. He said detente was an attempt to avoid inevitable, inevitable confrontations. And... Um, in fact, during the presidency of Gerald Ford, when Kissinger was Secretary of State, they refused to meet with Solzhenitsyn. They refused to meet with Solzhenitsyn. Why? They didn't want to upset the Soviets. They didn't want to upset the Soviets. You know, escalation. So the pacifists, isolationists, putinoids, call them whatever you want. It is they who are actually regurgitating in large measure failed policies of the past, whether it's in the lead up to World War II, whether it is, you know, they talk about China. Well, how do they think China got to be what China is? Because we were not confrontational with China early on. Were we? Or Iran. Trump had the right policy in place because he's really not one of them. He may sound like one of them from time to time, but he's not. He took on Iran. He took on Russia in Syria. He took on communist China. And I go on and on and on. He took on Russia. He's not part of this Rand Paul There's not even a wing of the Republican Party, this little group. But what's happening is some of these so-called conservative groups, turns out, aren't very conservative. From that perspective, anyway. Now, I want to deal with Dizzy Lizzie Cheney. You know, Dizzy Lizzie Cheney only gets the attention she gets now because she is trying to destroy Trump and all the Trump supporters. If Dizzy Lizzie... Uh, had actually lived up to her positions when she ran for the House in the first place, uh, she'd be getting 
no attention or only very negative attention. Do you know that Dizzy Lizzie Cheney got the Profiles and Courage Award from the John F. Kennedy Library, Mr. Producer? Is that interesting? No more Halliburton, 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 my God. No more Cheney's war criminals. No, no, no. No. The JFK Profile and Courage Award yesterday. And she dares to quote President Reagan and George Washington when this award has become an award for radical leftists and radical leftists only. She's very proud. And her new friend Nancy Eva Pelosi, Stretch, is very proud of her. And wait until they have their public hearings and wait until, oh, I'm telling you, she's going to get a job on TV. It's just a matter of time. Any network will take her, but, but Fox, I assume. Dizzy Lizzie at the JFK Profile and Courage Awards, of which she has none. Cut 12, go. With this noble act, George Washington set the indispensable example of the peaceful transfer of power in our country. This is what President Reagan called, quote, nothing short of a miracle. This is what President Kennedy, in his inaugural address, called a celebration of freedom. And this sacred obligation to defend the peaceful transfer of power has been honored by every American president, except one. First of all, that's not accurate. Number two, how come Liz Cheney begins history on January 6th and not before the first Tuesday in November of 2020 about a voting system that was corrupted in many states by the Democrat Party, by the Mark Eliases of the world, in my humble opinion, by the Mark Zuckerbergs in the world, in my humble opinion, and so many others. She's become an obsessed ideologue. And the Reagan Library of all places, you just heard me play clips. He's gone, Mrs. Reagan's gone. Under the iron fist of this Fred Ryan the CEO over at the Washington Post and the chairman of the board of the Reagan Library. Can you believe this guy? He's sort of bi-ideological, isn't he, Mr. Producer? He is. He's bi-ideological. No, he's a sellout. He's a rhino. Like Peggy Noonan, among others. Insufferable. I don't know how people read her stuff. Apparently Matt Drudge has a real love for her or something because... He can't get enough of her, and when Peggy speaks, Matt listens. Uh, but anyway, except one, you see. So they're going to pull this together. They know the media will be there helping them. There's nothing courageous about what they're doing. It's unconstitutional and illegal, in my opinion. She goes on. Cut 13. Go. Standing on the east front of the United States Capitol on a snowy morning in 1961, 
President Kennedy said, in the long history of freedom, only a few generations have been granted the role of defending freedom in its hour of maximum danger. You know what's interesting about this? What happened in West Virginia that helped Ted Kennedy against Hubert Humphrey? Anybody know? What happened in Cook County, Chicago, in the 1960 election that helped John Kennedy against Richard Nixon? Anybody know? So she's playing along because it serves her ideological interests. She's standing at a place that's honoring a man who was horribly killed. Horribly. But whose father was sympathetic to Hitler so bad that even FDR had to remove him as ambassador to England. That's how bad it was. He was sending secret notes over to the Third Reich. He removed him. He was an embarrassment. He embraced fascism. And when it came to John, Joe was a war hero who died. His, uh, his bomber crashed, was shot out of the sky. When it came to John Kennedy, Joe Sr. was going to make him president of the United States. That's what he wanted to do. You can read this stuff on your own. And when you read this stuff on your own, you will find that he spent an awful lot of money to get his son nominated to be the Democrat presidential candidate in 1960, having failed in 1956. And what went on in some of these states? What went on in West Virginia? What went on in Cook County? And Richard Nixon, after the general election, we lost by... By an eyelash. Unlike Al Gore, he said he would not challenge it. Nixon wouldn't challenge it, but they hated Nixon forever anyway. Washington and the Kennedys. They didn't like him because when he was a senator, he chased down communists, including one he asserted who was sympathetic in that direction. We ran against to win the Senate seat in the state of California. Oh, how right he was. Certainly in that respect. So Dizzy Lizzie Cheney goes there, knows the history, knows the history, but she's there to attack Trump and to advance her own cause. She is a quintessential ultra-narcissist. May I use the word ultra? I think I will. Ultra narcissist. Go ahead. Today, that role is ours. As we face a threat we have never faced before. A former president attempting to unravel our constitutional republic. At this moment, we must Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Just sickening beyond belief. I'm telling you, folks. Just incredible. Go ahead. Summon the courage to stand against that. The question for every one of us is in this right, time enough. of testing. This, this is how you get. This is how you're embraced. 
by the Kennedy clan, the Bush clan, the Cheney clan, and all the clans in and around Washington, D.C. This is how it works. The Washington Post clan, the New York Times clan. Cheney likes being applauded by these people. It's like John Roberts. They're tight with Thomas Friedman and that family at the New York Slimes. This is how it works. And if you don't have guts and you don't have a backbone and you're not going to stand up to it, in many cases you join them. And that's what Dizzy Lizzie has done. That's what she's done. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Stop paying for Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile social initiatives. Stop paying for their thousands of retail stores across the country that you never go to. Stop paying for their added perks that you never use. Pure Talk doesn't charge you for any of that garbage. Instead, they give you excellent 5G coverage on the same 5G network as one of those big guys. For half the cost, the average family saving over $800 a year. Now, I made the switch, and it's the best decision you'll ever make. You can keep your number, keep your phone, or get great deals on a new phone, like a Samsung Galaxy 5G for less than $2 a month. Unlimited talk, text, and 6 gigs of data, just $30 a month. Or choose unlimited data, and you'll still save a fortune. Go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast, L-E-V-I-N Podcast, and you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Stacey Abrams says that Georgia is the worst place to live. The number one worst place to live. I want you Georgians to know this. Stacy owns multiple homes in Georgia. But it's the worst place to live. Cut 15, go. I'm ready to go because I know that we have to have a conversation about who we are in this state. And what we want for each other and from each other. I am tired of hearing about being the best state in the country to do business when we are the worst state in the country to live. There you go. Worst state in the country to live. Vote for me for the United States Senate. She has no opposition in the Democrat primary. Isn't that nice? Saddam Hussein never had any opposition either, as I recall. He could have run as a Democrat today. I really believe that. Anyway, Stacey Abrams says, Georgia, we are the worst state in the country to live. She owns multiple homes in Georgia. I noticed the media are all excited because Governor Kemp is expected to win the Republican primary tomorrow. And I notice a lot of these Republics running down to Georgia to campaign for Governor Kemp so they can all claim that they had some role in his victory against Trump. I see the former vice presidents down there. I see the Cape May Orca, Chris Christie. Waddled his way down there. I see, I think, one of the Bushes went down there. I don't know. Here's what I do know. Trump is like 383 to 3 in endorsements. I seem to recall Obama was like 3 to 383. Remember? He was the kiss of death. Anybody he endorsed. Everybody wants Trump's endorsement. 
Everybody. Nobody wants Biden's endorsement. 283, (coughs) excuse me, to three seems pretty good. Nobody said Obama was a loser because the people he endorsed were losers. Everybody he endorsed would lose. He and Michelle. But almost everybody that Trump endorses wins. That doesn't mean I always agree with my dear friend, President Trump. Mostly I do. But we think for ourselves. So in, you have this conga line of reprobate, mostly Republicans, going down there, campaigning for Kemp. So they can all say, and the media will spin it as, look at this, it's a monster Trump loss. They all went down there when it looked like Kemp was going to win in a landslide anyway. 20, 30 points ahead. Hey, I'm going down there, guys. What do you think? We'll show Trump. That's what's going on in Georgia. It's a snooze fest. You want to know the truth. We, of course, have endorsed Herschel Walker, who's likely to win in the Republican primary, and I think would be a tremendous senator, as a matter of fact. I'm sure all the Democrats will support him. Won't they? Oh, no, no. They're going to support the Marxists in the race. That's right. I forgot. All right, folks. I shall return. Stop paying for Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile social initiatives. Stop paying for their thousands of retail stores across the country that you never go to. Stop paying for their added perks that you never use. Pure Talk doesn't charge you for any of that garbage. Instead, they give you excellent 5G coverage on the same 5G network as one of those big guys. For half the cost, the average family saving over $800 a year. Now, I made the switch, and it's the best decision you'll ever make. You can keep your number, keep your phone, or get great deals on a new phone, like a Samsung Galaxy 5G for less than $2 a month. Unlimited talk, text, and 6 gigs of data, just $30 a month. Or choose unlimited data, and you'll still save a fortune. Go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast, L-E-V-I-N Podcast, and you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Mark Levin, tough as hell. That's why I like Mark Levin. And I'm not sure a lot of people like him. He's tough as hell. But I like him. I love him. Call in now. 877-381-3811. Now, have you noticed when you look at Joe Rogan and Elon Musk, these are very accomplished men in their own fields. Very accomplished. The most accomplished. Rogan has the biggest podcast. Musk is the wealthiest man. And if you notice, they really weren't hyper-political. Kind of center-left, I would say. Uh, Maybe hardcore left on some issues, but not all issues, for sure. And I remember when Rogan was interviewing Musk, remember they were both, both using pot, Mr. Producer? So here's the thing. They're contrarians. But they're not whack jobs. Again, they're smart people who've done remarkably well because you're interested in what Musk is selling and you're interested in what Rogan is saying. So that's all good, right? Well, when they wouldn't step into line 
with these American Marxist forces. And I don't mean in some aggressive way that they said, hey, I'm pro this and pro that, I'm a right winger. When they wouldn't fall into line, when they wouldn't fall into line, they come under attack. Doesn't matter how much money they have. Doesn't matter how, how big their voice can be. Doesn't matter. Because that's the nature of totalitarianism. And the war on free speech. Shut the people down. Shut the people down. Now, I'm not the biggest fan of Bill Maher, but I've been told by the missus, give the guy a chance. You know, I'm not, I'm not really a, uh, a follower of this person or that person. But I read here in the Blaze, Blaze Media, great site. Of course, I'm with them, but it is a great site. Progressives blast Bill Maher as transphobic for saying it's trendy to be LGBTQ, declaring children transitioning to transgender is not science-based. Apparently, that's a very, very offensive and radical view, and yet it is absolutely sensible. Here's what happened with Real Time with Bill Maher. Cut 17, go. When things change this much, this fast, people are allowed to ask, what's up with that? All the babies are in the wrong bodies? Was there a mix-up at the plant, like with Captain Crunch's Oops Old Berries? It wasn't that long ago when adults asked a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? They meant, what profession? In the wake of America about to lose abortion rights, the ACLU recently tweeted a list of those who would be disproportionately harmed by this. You would think women might top that list. No, wasn't even on the list. Second on the list was LGBT. Really? Abortion rights affects gay and trans people more than, you know, breeders? I'm happy for LGBT folks that we now live in an age where they can live their authentic lives openly. And we should always be mindful of respecting and protecting. But someone needs to say it. Not everything's about you. (laughs) And it's okay to ask questions about something that's very new and involves children. The answer can't always be that anyone from a marginalized community is automatically right, trump card, mic drop, end of discussion. Because we're literally experimenting on children. Maybe that's why Sweden and Finland have stopped giving puberty blockers to kids. Because we just don't know much about the long-term effects. Although common sense should tell you that when you reverse the course of raging hormones, there's going to be problems. We do know it hinders the development of bone density which is kind of important if you like having a skeleton. (laughs) Fertility and the ability to have an orgasm seem also to be affected. This isn't just a lifestyle decision. It's medical. Weighing trade-offs is not bigotry. Wow. Now, he's just as likely tonight or tomorrow night 
they turn around and throw a right hook at you. More like a left hook. But let's stay focused on this particular statement. He's raising legitimate questions about the effects on the children. And for this, he's coming under vicious, vicious attack. Cut 18, go. Yet when a book questioning the sudden uptick in transitioning children was released, a trans lawyer with the ACLU named Chase Strangio tweeted, stopping the circulation of this book and these ideas is 100% a hill I will die on. How very civil liberties of him. Chase, by the way, has just been named one of the grand marshals of this year's New York City Pride March, along with three other trans people and a lesbian. Huh, what's missing here? Oh, right, a gay man. (laughs) That's where we are now. Gay men aren't hip enough for the gay pride parade. Compared to trans, gay is practically cis, and cis is practically Mormon. (laughs) And this is a phenomenon we need to take into account when we look at this issue. Yes, part of the rise in LGBT numbers is from people feeling free enough to tell it to a pollster, and that's all to the good. But some of it is, it's trendy. Penis equals man. Okay, boomer. (laughs) Remember, the prime directive of every teen is anything to shock and challenge the squares who brought you up. It's why nobody gets a nose ring at 56. Mm -hmm. Yep. So he's stating what's occurring. He's asking questions. And he needs to be silenced. So uh, Elon Musk is seeking to acquire a platform. Once they tell him the truth about how many fake, uh, what is it, bots there are on that platform, because he doesn't want to pay for fake bots as a company can jack up the cost, you know. And so now that he's doing his due diligence, that's what you do after you make an offer can't do due diligence before you make an offer and he's under vicious assault and so the Democrats and the Marxists are attacking him and he says I'm not voting Democrat anymore I'm going to vote Republican because this is absurd that's right because he's come to realize and I think one day Bill Maher might but maybe not that that Democrat party is alien to American principles. It wants to effectively burn down our institutions. And that includes free speech. That includes freedom of association. That includes challenging an election in a count system that allows you to challenge an election. I mean, only Democrats bring lawsuits, that's okay. But you get my point. 
progressives blast Bill Maher's transphobic for saying it's trendy to be LGBTQ, declaring children transitioning to gender is not science-based. They go back on Joe Rogan. They see things he said in the past. And they try to destroy his present and his future. Why, what did, what did Joy Reid tweet out? Eight, nine, ten years ago about homosexuals. What did she tweet out about Jews? What does she say today? Almost everything she says has a racist twist of some sort to it. And yet she's on MSNBC, she's promoted, and she is embraced. Isn't she? And she's not alone. And she's not alone. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Stop paying for Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile social initiatives. Stop paying for their thousands of retail stores across the country that you never go to. Stop paying for their added perks that you never use. Pure Talk doesn't charge you for any of that garbage. Instead, they give you excellent 5G coverage on the same 5G network as one of those big guys. For half the cost, the average family saving over $800 a year. Now, I made the switch, and it's the best decision you'll ever make. You can keep your number, keep your phone, or get great deals on a new phone, like a Samsung Galaxy 5G for less than $2 a month. Unlimited talk, text, and 6 gigs of data, just $30 a month. Or choose unlimited data, and you'll still save a fortune. Go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast, L-E-V-I-N Podcast, and you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. By the way, next hour, another killer hour. The first guest will be Mo Brooks. Provided endorsed for the Senate. It's funny. These sites like Politico and New York Times, I come under these brutal attacks. And yet we have been consistent and early in our support of Mo Brooks. And they go on about who's been helping Mo Brooks up in the polls and so on. And they talk to people who aren't even involved. Isn't that amazing, Mr. Producer? The media is so corrupt, they are disgusting. But I will continue to support Mo Brooks because I think he would be by far the best senator from Alabama, regardless of all the drama and so forth. The, the woman in the lead is your quintessential Mitch McConnell, liberal Republican. She would be an absolute disaster. And the other fellow really doesn't have any deep connections to the state. Mo Brooks was a tough prosecutor in Huntsville, Alabama. That's how I first heard of him. He's been a fantastic congressman. So he's... He's proven. It's that simple. So yesterday, I don't normally do this, but um, I went to the Orioles game with family members, and it was hot as hell at Camden Yards. And we were sitting in the sun. We had good seats. No, we bought them. Nobody gave them to us. The owners of Big Lib. Anyway... And hot as hell. And I just want to thank the Patriots who said hello, came up to me, shook my hand. I kept my hat down. But I almost had like a heat stroke, Mr. Producer. 
It was hot as hell. And I'm thinking to myself, how do these ball players do it? They're standing on the field. They're wearing these long pants. As comfortable as those pants are, they're not comfortable when it's got to be like 105 on the field or something. And they're playing professional baseball. But we had to leave in the seventh inning. I'd had enough. I couldn't take it anymore. But I had a huge soft pretzel and a hot dog. Now, my wife normally is not going to let me have a hot dog and a soft pretzel. And now she's going to hear me say something I shouldn't say. So I decided to just walk around the stadium, you know. And I got a, uh, oh, what the hell do you call those things? They're not donuts. They're, they're kind of squiggly, Mr. Produce. You fry them. What are those things? Oh, geez. Funnel cake. What is wrong with my mind? Oh, my goodness. So I had a good time. And so we left. The Orioles, as usual, were losing. And then they won. They won 7-6 to six over Tampa. But I really, I couldn't hang out there. Now, my wife, it's interesting. You know, she's an athlete. She could have sat there for a doubleheader. Really. She could have watched two games. She's fine. But I couldn't take it anymore. But I want to congratulate the Baltimore Orioles. And by the way, that stadium, even though it's 30 years old, it's a beautiful stadium. And the architecture in that stadium was copied by a lot of other cities, including Philadelphia, my Phillies play. Although... I don't even know who the hell's on that team anymore other than their cleanup hitter. I just don't follow it much anymore. I don't care that much anymore. Still, football was my number one sport to watch on TV. My number one sport to watch in person is hockey because there's nonstop action. But I like the history and tradition of baseball. I do. I like the history and tradition, the history which I've studied and I know more and more about as time goes on. Anyway, you don't give a damn about any of this, do you, Mr. Producer? How are your Mets doing? You don't follow them anymore? Mr. Call Screener, how are your Yankees doing? He doesn't follow it anymore either. Oh, he doesn't know a basketball from a baseball? As long as he knows a liberal from a conservative, that's good enough for me. Our second guest next hour is Kellyanne Conway, who's a fascinating book out. And as you know, she was very instrumental in the Trump campaign in 2016. I think she was the contact with the Russians. I'm just kidding. There were no Russians. Has Hillary Clinton been, uh, has, has her home in Chappaquiddick been hit yet with a SWAT team? Like our guys are always hit with SWAT teams, you know. Has she been hit with a SWAT team? where they took her out in the middle of the night uh, and uh, where she was dressed in whatever she dresses in in the middle of the night. Probably a full gown. And did they handcuff her? And did CNN report on it? Has that happened to Hillary Clinton yet? Because she dragged this country through hell. She sure did. And she's dragged this country through hell. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to ask you a question. Did you know withdrawing your cash from the bank can be very risky? That's right. Banks are now required to spy on us for the government. And they report any behavior they think is suspicious. It's true. And I was shocked when I read the secret war on cash from Swiss America. The new war against cash is really a war against the Constitution. Against all freedom-loving Americans. So, you need to read the war on cash. 
Get your free copy by calling 800-630-1492, 800-630-1492, or visit SwissAmerica.com. Now, this war on cash is growing daily and also includes all forms of digital money. Please get and read The Secret War on Cash free to my listeners by calling now, 800-630-1492, 800-630-1492, or visit SwissAmerica.com. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello America, Mark Levin here, our number, 877 Big election in Alabama, as well as other states, by the way. But as you know, these elections affect not just the state from which the candidate runs, but the whole country. We need a majority. I've known Mo Brooks a long time. He's very, very solid conservative. He was solid as a prosecutor in Huntsville, Alabama. He's been a congressman there for a bit. Solid again. He's running against two individuals, one individual, a woman, who has been pushed by the Mitch McConnell wing of the party, and she has a ton of money. She's basically sort of a uh, chamber of no commerce uh, individual, and uh, she's trying to fool the people of Alabama, the Republicans, that she's a conservative. She is not. She's a rhino. And then there is a, a gentleman running. I have nothing negative to say about him, but he's no Mo Brooks. That's the bottom line. And so, Mo Brooks, how are you, my friend? I'm doing fine, uh, Mark, and thank you so much for your endorsement of my candidacy for the United States Senate. It means a lot to have the support of the great one. Well, it's my pleasure. So tell us what's going on on the ground in Alabama, my friend. Well, we're getting blistered with the financial advantage that uh, Mike Durant and Katie Britt have. Uh, Katie Britt is soaking up the money from the Mitch McConnell establishment wing of the party. Added to that are the special interest groups in as much as five of the last seven years. That's been her profession, registered lobbyist. And in particular, she's getting money from the open borders, uh, cheap foreign labor uh, crowd that loves to profit off of the hardship of hardworking Americans who don't want to have to compete against this cheap foreign labor. Uh, so that's, that's pretty much the setup. Mike Durant, probably the closest analogy I could give to uh, what he would be like in the United States Senate would be uh, John McCain. Uh, John McCain is the last time that uh, Mike Durant voted in a Republican primary back in 2008, and he was a surrogate for uh, John McCain around the country. And that's why I mentioned him as a lookalike for the Mike Durant uh, campaign effort. So both of them have tons of money. Mike Durant, he's a successful businessman to his credit. Uh, He's put in $10 of his own, but he's also uh, been uh, recruited and supported by the Lincoln Project doing business as More Perfect Union in Alabama doing business as the Alabama Patriots PAC. Uh, Jake Harriman of those organizations pledged Mike Durant $15 million if he would get into the race. So that's a lot of money uh, in a state like Alabama. Uh, we have the ground game. We have the support of almost every single conservative organization, at least everyone I know of. Uh, but unfortunately, Mark, as you, all, as you well know, uh, we conservatives, we tend to be frugal people. <laughs> <laughs> we mm-hmm. we don't we don't invest for profit 
uh, like some of these uh, special interest groups do, where they look at their contributions as an investment. Uh, we, we seek good government without any personal gain out of it, but rather gain for our country. And that's what I'm up against here in the state of Alabama. And you've also said, should you become a senator, that you will not vote for Mitch McConnell to be the majority leader. And so Mitch McConnell, as you point out, is coming at you with millions and millions of dollars directly and through his surrogates. Is Mitch McConnell popular in Alabama? Because he's not popular in most of the rest of the country. No, he is unpopular, uh, has a net unfavorable rating. Uh, let me emphasize there are a couple of reasons why I believe we can do better than Mitch McConnell. First is messaging. If you go to the Real Clear Politics uh, average, uh, the polling data on Mitch McConnell has him typically somewhere between 55 and 60 percent unfavorable rating. Well, our Senate Republican leader is supposed to be our best message carrier. And how good of a message carrier can you be? If the moment you open your mouth, 55 to 60 percent uh, mute their TV because they don't like you. We need to get someone who doesn't have that kind of unfavorable uh, rating uh, with the American people. And there are plenty of United States senators, in my judgment, who can better carry the message. And then philosophically, uh, we govern quite differently. Uh, Mark, as you know, I'm one of the founders of the House Freedom Caucus. For those who don't know uh, who we are, folks like Mark Meadows, uh, Ron DeSantis out of Florida, Jim Jordan out of Ohio. Uh, Mick Mulvaney, former budget director under uh, Donald Trump, fellow House Freedom Caucus member. And and we fight for the things that we believe in. And we believe the best way to get elected is by doing a good job, that we don't need as much money if you do it. Mitch McConnell, on the other hand, he believes in pummeling people and that the way you pummel people is you get millions of dollars in cash. And where do you get the millions of dollars in cash? You get it from special interest groups. How do you get it from them? Well, you sell away our country. You put special interest groups first and the interests of America second. And that's not the way I believe in governing. And the people of Alabama are, are very shrewd. They're sharp. And they have to understand that a lot of this money is being sent to redefine you, to create somebody you're not, because they don't really want to run against the real Mo Brooks, who shares the value of the people of Alabama. But you're able to push back, you say, because you have a pretty good ground game going. So tomorrow is the big vote day. How do these primaries work in Alabama? We have a primary and then a runoff. The polls open at 7 a.m. and they will close at 7 p.m. Uh, quite frankly, uh, one of our best avenues is radio talk shows like yours. I welcome questions from uh, citizens and the citizens like it. And I have a reputation for being very candid and very honest in my belief system. I believe that's the way a republic is supposed to operate. Candidates should tell the truth about their positions and then the public can decide which uh, solutions are offered by candidates they prefer. But as you well know, all too often now, it's big money, it's hiring pollsters, it's hiring consultants. They determine what the voters want to hear, and then they tell their candidates to pare it back what the voters want to hear. And there is no requirement that the candidates actually believe what they're saying. And that's most unfortunate because that gives you the kind of results we had in 2017 and 2018 when Republicans controlled the House, the Senate, and the White House, yet we could not keep our two main campaign promises, one, build the wall, two, repeal Obamacare. It's because the rhinos fooled us with all this big special interest group bucks. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you'd be fantastic in the Senate with the Ted Cruz and wing of the Republican Party, among others, Mike Lee and so forth. Ted Cruz and, was here today. Yeah. Ted Cruz, tell us about that. 
Oh, it was great. Uh, Ted Cruz was in Alabama. He had a news conference, and I'll tell you, he might can make more money as a comedian. He had a comedy <laughs> act. Where, of course, it was talking about Democrats, as you would expect, talking about their bad policies, as you would expect. And for 15 minutes, it was wildly entertaining. I, I mean, it was something to behold. I didn't know Ted Cruz had it had it anyway. I talked to my wife afterwards and said, well, do you want me to try something like that? And she gave me this look. She said, no way. No, you're the you don't have that ability. Yeah. Oh, he, Ted was just fantastic. And then we just had a telephone town hall with 13,000 Alabamians with Senator uh, Rand Paul, another right. great senator who has endorsed our candidacy for the United States Senate in Alabama. So you have a libertarian endorsing you. You have a constitutional conservative endorsing you. But the rhinos are vehemently against you. It seems, seems to me you're running... You're running down the right lane there, uh, Congressman. Well, I am the only conservative in this race. Mm-hmm. And I can go into detail if you wish, but I'm the only conservative, and you could even advance the argument that I'm the only Republican. I certainly believe you're, I don't know about the rest, you're certainly the only conservative. I've looked at the backgrounds of these other folks, and um, this is why they have to spend millions and millions and millions of dollars to try and define themselves and their opponents, whereas you don't. Either the people know who well, they you are, they don't. Masquerade. Say again? That's it. I said they have to perform the masquerade act. They have to be pretenders when I'm the real deal. Now, it, it makes it challenging because Mitch McConnell, they show no mercy. Um, Katie Britt, by way of example, covets the uh, position of being a United States senator more than she covets uh, honesty and truth. Uh, her team, Mitch McConnell and uh, Katie Britt, they have absolutely carpet bombed my reputation in the state of Alabama, and they also carpet bombed that of Mike Durant, my competitor. And it's the falsity of the ads. The attacks are just so nasty, and they distort uh, the truth beyond any recognition. But they're the mindset that if they can get away with it, then it's Mike Durant's fault and my fault for not having the resources to show the falsity mm-hmm. of what's being projected by the Mitch McConnell, Katie Britt team. That's not the way to campaigns, but unfortunately, that is the way they run campaigns. Well, all Mitch McConnell cares about is getting Republicans in the Senate who will support him for majority leader. He is the longest-serving Republican leader, I believe, in the history of the Senate in the Republican Party, and that is a damn shame, because you're right. He can't speak. He doesn't He doesn't bring that kind of a strength to the party when he goes on these various shows. By the way, Mo Brooks, he won't even come on this show. But he'll be quoted in the New York Times and other places. People want to help. Where do they go? Go to MoBrooks.com, folks. At, uh, tomorrow's the election day. Immediately thereafter, we have four weeks before the runoff. If we have sufficient funds to get our message out, we'll win this thing in a cakewalk. But it's going to be up to the citizens of the United States of America to participate in this election in Alabama. And if the people of America will do that, we'll be just fine. And you get a real fighting conservative in the United States Senate. Again, that's mobrooks.com, M-O-B-R-O-O-K-S.com. Please help. Mobrooks.com. All right, sir. Good luck tomorrow. We wish you all the best. Thank you, Mark. Have a blessed evening. You too, Mo. That's mobrooks.com, folks. He's gonna. He would be a great senator. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Welcome back, America. 
We have with us our dear friend, Kellyanne Conway, who's not here that often, quite frankly. The book is, Here's the Deal, a memoir. It's fascinating. Quite a life you've led at such a young age, Kellyanne. Well, thank you, Mark. I'm not that young, but I appreciate the compliment. Compared to me, you are. Trust me. It's been a labor of love. Listen, age is maturity. Come on, maturity is wisdom. I'm going with that. that. I like that. Um, As older I get, the more mature I'm getting. First of all, as a as a young lady, you spent a lot of time in Ventnor, New Jersey. Is that am, am I remembering this correctly? You are correct. We spend our summer, we we try to spend most of our summer there now. But you're right, Ventnor, Margate, Ocean City, that whole area, love it. The Jersey Shore, and we down lived, the shore, and we live at a place called the Berkeley in the summer. Oh, right on the boardwalk. Yeah, right on the boardwalk, Wonderful. right on the on the border with Ventnor, right. Yes, it is. We go by there routinely on our bikes or jogging. It's a really special place. You know, down the shore, you can have sand in your hair, sandals on your feet. People actually eat the bread around the hoagie. They don't take the stuff out and not eat the bread. It's just very pleasant. (laughs) (laughs) Do they still have that White House steak sandwich place? I'm just They do. I was there recently. White House. And right across the street at Formicas, you can get your cannolis, your spiritadels, your Napoleon. So it's, um, it's a gastronomic corner. In, Wonderland. in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Yeah, yeah I really, I, I really it. like that whole area. That uh, where where you, I haven't been there in years now, but I really do like. Let's get to your book, which we kind of did. Uh, here's the deal: a memoir. You decided to write this book. Why? To finally tell your story. Yes, Mark. I'm somebody who, for the last five or six years, have been I've been speaking on behalf of other people, and I've been spoken about quite a bit, particularly by people who don't know me, don't particularly like me, don't want me to succeed or be smart or even have a name. Because you know, if people don't know your name or they don't want you to have a name, they can just start calling you names. Yep. And we're facing that now in our culture. But I loved writing this memoir. This is not one of these Trump books where the people get fired or they slink away in shame or they weren't really good at their jobs to begin with. And then they write a what I call tell all and bore most. That's not what this book is. It's also not a MAGA book. It's my story. And Donald Trump obviously is a big part of it. He plucks me at the age of 49, not 29 or even 39, Mark, and he does what no Republican presidential candidate had ever done, which is put a woman at the top of the campaign. He never once said, I'm choosing you because you're a woman. He never once said, I'm choosing you because I'm running against a woman, the Queen Bee, Hillary Clinton herself. But he wanted something different because he was different. And we both saw in this electorate, forgotten man, forgotten woman, forgotten child, a lot of the folks I knew and I grew up around who believed that they, like Donald Trump, are political outsiders and wanted someone to really go there and shake up the system. I talk an awful lot about the walking RICO violation of the Republican consultancy, male-dominated, but just filled with uncreative, unimaginative people who always make sure the next guy gets a seat on the gravy train. And they keep that, you know, consultants always win, even when the candidates lose. And I felt that this was a big problem in the McCain and Romney campaigns uh, for campaigns uh, going stretching as far as we can remember, really, where the consultants then blame the candidates who enrich them. And I, I really thought they should. We, Donald Trump is somebody who's just connecting better with the voters and what they wanted. Here's a guy who took issues like illegal immigration and trademark that were mired in single digits in the polls and elevated them into the voter consciousness and made them a central part and theme of his campaign all the way to victory. Hmm. How did you uh, tell the public, if you would, how did you first meet Donald Trump? I first met Donald Trump sometime probably about 20 years ago, and I remember us being at the same event, but 
I started to develop more of a working relationship with him in 2006. Ironically, when George and I were living at the Trump World Tower, and we were splitting our time between there and Virginia, um, Donald Trump ran into an issue with the board, the condo board at Trump World Tower. And at that meeting, no, no other than George Conway, now of tweeting fame, and <laughs> a guy named Michael Cohen, that Michael Cohen, um, yeah. helped Donald Trump overcome the board objections, and he... He did very well, and he called both of them the next day, offered Cohen a big job internally in the Trump organization, and offered George, my husband, a spot on the newly configured board. George's comment was, I won't do that, but I bet my wife will, and his wife did. So I sat on the Trump World Tower board, and I quickly realized, here's a man, I show up at these meetings with my binder all tabbed, I'm ready to go, I'm there early, and here comes Donald Trump. I never expected in a million years, Mark, that he shows up at the condo board meetings, because after all, he had 17 buildings, I think, at the time in New York with his name on it, let alone other things to do, like The Apprentice. And he just was very knowledgeable about the buildings, no notes, no net, all facts and figures, and I enjoyed it. And then he would ask me about politics. So a couple times a year, he'd call me. And I, we would shoot the breeze about politics. He wanted to run. He thought about running against President Obama in 2012. And so I did a poll for him in 2011. The poll did not go well for him. So he hired another pollster who told him he could win. But in any event, the rest is, is history. But I think um, starting in about 2014, people wanted him to run for governor. I went to a meeting about that. It was very clear that his eyes were on a larger prize. And then the very next year, he made the announcement for presidency. And uh, I had an offer early on. But I went the, the following year in 2016, and I'll tell you, the day he asked me to be campaign manager, he did something that was very different, Mark. He said, well, what, he basically asked me, what's your theory of the case? How do we beat Hillary? And I was ready to answer that because I had been a student of Hillary. I had known how deceptive and devious and dishonest she had been for so long. I knew that she was too much Hillary and not enough Clinton to get enough of the independents to vote for her. I knew many women were offended by her pretending they were less than her, deriding their life's choices, whether they're stay-at-home moms or traditional wives, or she had derided them years before on 60 Minutes by, um, you know, saying, I'm not going to stand by my man like Tammy Wynette. I'm not going to stay home and be a cook. He's very insulting. So, and the other thing was, I told Mr. Trump that day, you know, this election is about you. He said, I know I get the best press coverage. I said, well, you get the most press coverage. But if we can make this election just a little bit more about Hillary, you can absolutely beat her because people don't like her. And that's why the media are making this election all about you. Plus, I did something, Mark, with President Trump and I agreed to something that day that I think is very important right here and right now in 2020. Hold it right there. Leading a hold it right sure. there. Hold it right there. Can you hold till after the bottom of the hour? Of course I can. Okay. You're listening you. to Kellyanne Conway. The book is Here's the Deal, a memoir. You can go to Amazon.com. It is a fantastic very intriguing book. Amazon.com. You can order it right now. It's out today. Today, I believe, is the first day. Here's the deal, a memoir by Kellyanne Conway. We'll be right back. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in America with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, house plants, much, much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation 
forever. My wife Julie and I decided it was time to add more flowering trees to our landscape, and Fast Growing Tree was a great resource for us. A large selection and no hassle ordering or shipping. This spring they have the best deals online, up to half off on selected plants and other deals, and listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEVIN at checkout. L-E-V-I-N. Now that's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using code LEVIN in at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code L-E-V-I-N. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Please visit fastgrowingtrees.com for details. You're listening to Denali, the great one. The great one. And you can call in now, 877-381-3811. Kellyanne Conway is the guest. Here's the deal. A memoir is the book. You can get it on Amazon.com. Today is the first. What is today? Monday? Tomorrow's the first day of its release. Jeez, I can't remember the days. Um, Let's ask. I wanted to ask you about um, the coronavirus. You were there for much of that. What, What did you witness? Because from my perspective, when you look at what we have in the Oval Office and the White House now, there is no way that it would have been handled with, and I'm going to say, because I believe it, with the efficiency and, and the uh, laser-like focus that Trump handled it. What do you say? Well, I know that to be true. I was there. Um, we yeah. were there seven days a week just trying to get our heads around it. And I think the president hasn't always taken credit and articulated fully everything that he did do, that he did command to happen, from the ventilators to the production of masks, the testing capacity, certainly the PPP, the PPE. You know, we were surging supplies. And I think many of these governors, Republicans and Democrats, Mark, have been disingenuous with the the praise that they were heaping on to the president and the vice president for their handling of the coronavirus, especially early on. And look, much has been written about and talked about with the doctors, but I was in the situation room where I would take the call from my secure line at the desk, but I was there to see plenty of it. I sat right behind doctors Birch, Birch and Fauci, Burks and Fauci many days, and I write in the book how you know, how in the world were the rest of us supposed to be wearing masks when you're in the cramped windowless situation room, nose to nose with the vice president and cabinet secretaries in there who should be protected, and nobody's wearing a mask. The doctors aren't wearing a mask in there because there aren't any cameras. Oh, and then the vice president's photographer came in, Mark. Then there was a camera. Boom taking out the masks and putting Amazing. them on for the cameras. So lots of mixed messages. I write a never-before-told story in my book, Mark. It's mid-February 2020, and First Lady Melania Trump and President Trump are behind the Resolute Desk receiving a briefing from the doctors about coronavirus. I'm in the Oval. I'm listening to this. And Melania Trump says, hey, our, you know, tomorrow our advanced teams will be deployed to India. We're supposed to go there in two weeks. Is it safe? Should they go? And the doctors said, oh, yeah, India's fine. There's just a couple of cases at there yet. India became an epicenter for the whole darn thing. Mm-hmm. So this whole, you know, this whole thing that Donald Trump's to blame for everything and the doctors are right on everything, it's just simply not true. And we, we had to stop everything else that we were doing to work on Operation Warp Speed. To, I was in the cabinet room on March 2nd when those pharmaceutical companies in there for drug pricing. President Trump said, we're changing the topic of the meeting. This is now about vaccines. And you know what, Mark? Those pharmaceutical companies came together because they saw a guy in Donald Trump who works with volume and velocity at all times. And in less about the same amount of time it takes to have a baby, President Trump and his pharmaceutical companies got through Operation Warp Speed three 
three ready-to-go-in-the-arm vaccines. In less time than it takes a baby, Biden and Harris ruined the whole darn country. Mm-hmm. And, and you see it in the polls. So a lot of that is covered in my book. And this is, um, I got to tell you, this is not one of those, uh, I didn't speak up then, so I'm speaking up now. I spoke up plenty then. But so much is in this book about Russia collusion, illusion, delusion. It's in the news right now with my, my companion on Hillary's campaign, her campaign manager from 2016, Robbie Mook, under oath in a courtroom mm-hmm. on the record saying Hillary greenlighted this ridiculous, phony Russia collusion nonsense alpha bank stuff. So that's dealt with in my book. And you will see that they had no faith in Hillary Clinton. They had no faith in their candidate. She, they couldn't figure out how to make her seem incorruptible, consensus building, peacemaking, approachable, fresh face versus Donald Trump, who was going to rally after rally, packing them in. And, um, and it was, you know, it's just been quite a ride. But I loved having Donald Trump as a boss. He was a fantastic boss. I looked up one day. There were five of us around the table. Mercedes Schlapp, Brooke Rollins, Ivanka Trump, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, and me, five women, all with the highest rank in the White House mark. And we have 19 kids, 12 daughters, seven sons at that moment, ages 2 to 16. Show me a corporation where the five of us can work at that level with kids ages, 19 kids ages 2 to 16. Very true. Now, I want to ask you something, and if it's too much, you tell me, because I'm not trying to go somewhere I don't want to go. But uh, your husband, George, became an issue uh, while you were there. Do you want to comment on that or, or not? I did, well, I write about it extensively in my exactly. book. We all know how George feels. He has sent 100,000 tweets. It's my time to speak. And and uh, look, my marriage and my job are different. And our wedding vows to love, honor, and cherish really should not have ever been about Donald Trump. Now, George was very supportive of me taking that job. In fact, he's the one who told me, you have to take your shot. Donald Trump can actually win with you. You have to do this. I'll help more with the kids, et cetera. People say, oh, without Kellyanne, we don't, Donald Trump wouldn't have been elected. That's debatable. But here's what's not in doubt. Without George Conway, Kellyanne could not have been the campaign manager in 2016 to the level I was in those last months. And there he was on election night, crying in his MAGA hat, the New York Hilton, that Trump won. He accepted a position in the Trump administration. Mark, this is America. We can all change our minds. We can change our minds about what we're having for dinner, what we're wearing, and our politics. So my objection to George is not that, that he, he owes fealty to Donald Trump. He owes fealty to me. And that's, uh, that's where I was working. I never knew what tweets were coming. I never knew the Lincoln Project was forming. I never knew op-eds in the New York Times or Washington Post were being written by my husband in our house until they were published and I saw them with the rest of the world. And so that was very hurtful. And I, there, too, I have to say, President Trump rarely mentioned George to me. A few times he did, um, and he was not, not happy, but he expressed how he felt about that. And it was very, it was very hard because um, I, didn't want to, I didn't want to address it. I was a public servant working for the American people on the taxpayer dime, and I have four small children who I, I did not want them to see mom and dad fighting in public about, about nonsense, obviously, about uh, political differences. But, you know, isn't it interesting, Mark, that George became this folk hero to the left, to the mainstream media, who never had much interest in him, and he was called Kellyanne Conway's husband. They don't see the irony. Um, he was referred to as Kellyanne Conway's husband, and they would have him on Twitter. They would have him in their op-ed pages, constitutional law expert, uh, armchair psychiatrist, it, political savant, whatever they needed from him, they shape-shifted him to be. And really, Eileen just needed my husband and, and the father of my children to be as we always were. So, yes, it was a very painful time. 
And, uh, and, you know, I love George. I always love George. His love brought me to marriage and motherhood. But, you know, and I tell people all the time, I know some families have had difficulty, if not dissolved, because of politics. Do you want to be loved or do you want to be right? You know, find the things that you do agree on. And for God's sake, if you disagree, disagree with a spouse, mm-hmm. you know, be, be, um, be private about it. <laughs> have those conversations. In How's private. the situation today? Well, the situation, I do write in the afterword that, you know, mm-hmm. people ask me, can we unify? What about January 6th? And I said, listen, democracy will survive. America will survive. I'm not sure George and I will survive. I'm very candid about that. Mm-hmm. And um, I certainly take my wedding vows seriously. Uh, I think we all find out along the way what, for better or for worse, fully includes. But I do talk an awful lot about it, about it in the book that I just mm-hmm. understand. And maybe because George is a very smart person who always kept his own counsel. And I, you know what, Mark, I say in the book, I couldn't compete with Twitter because she's, I, why would I compete with her, Twitter? She's not even hot and she doesn't seem to have much personality. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, you've got to, you got to be a little light about it, but um, we share four amazing children who are resilient yeah. and have more class and dignity and judgment and discretion in their pinkies than a lot of these adults who thought my children should be news stories um, showed in those, in those crazy days. Do you realize, Mark, I quantified in my book that in the summer and fall of 2020, my 15-year-old daughter was trending uh, on social mm-hmm. media, and yet the tech companies were actively covering for 51-year-old Hunter Biden. Disgrace. His father is, is now the president. I was a staffer, and we know he enriched himself on taxpayer dimes as well. But just think about that for a moment, covering up the story, acting like the Steele dossier was verifiable, but the contents of his laptop weren't, and covering for this 51-year-old waste of space who had an affair with his dead brother's wife, a different baby mama, no, had made... Gross. Eleven figures, eight, excuse me, eight figures that we know of in places like China, Ukraine and other places where, you know, he said on ABC in an ABC News special, he admitted he said, yeah, it's my last name that gets me the access. Um, so we, I think we just have a lot of soul searching to do that. Trump deranged syndrome is real. It makes people take leave of their senses. And uh, look, I'm sad for the country. I only wish Joe Biden were up to the job. I only wish Biden-Harris were the best administration ever. But we know it's a man-made disaster, and they've been unraveling and taking out root and branch so many of the great Trump-Pence accomplishments, so many of the, the Trump accomplishments that benefited people. And I told the president recently, I said, you know, Mr. President, we're Americans. We love to say it will get better. It will always get better. This country has seen through so much and bounced back. But people aren't even saying that now, Mark. I hear them saying it was better not that long ago. How mm-hmm. do we get that back? The book is Here's the Deal, a memoir by Kellyanne Conway. Uh, she pours her heart and soul into this book. You can get it at uh, Amazon.com or any major bookstore. You can order it now. You'll get it tomorrow. That's Kellyanne Conway. Here's the deal memoir. I'm running out of time, uh, but I do want people to know this and tell you. You went to law school, correct? I did. I'm a lawyer admitted to practice in four states. I clerked for a judge, and I love my law degree. teaches me to think in a very logical, non-emotional, linear way. And I felt in Washington, Mark, when I was 25 years old and had that law degree, that it was a good credential to have for a young professional woman. Washington is a city that reveres bald heads and gray heads. Hey, and it watch really that. helped me. It's helped me be. <laughs> I said we revere them, and it's helped <laughs> me to. Uh, <laughs> it helped me to build my business as well. But yes, that's right. I have a law degree. It is a wonderful book, folks. You ought to grab your copy. I'll we'll have it delivered tomorrow. If you go to Amazon.com, it's here's the deal: a memoir, Kelly Ann Conway. 
who has been a friend for a long, long time and a very, very smart lady. Kellyanne, God bless you, my friend. Well done. The great one, Mark Levin. Thanks for having me, and God bless you and yours. Take care. All my best. Take care. It's a fascinating book. It really is. Fascinating book. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. to celebrate the Ukrainians. They held off the latest assault on an eastern city that has become the main target of Moscow's offensive since Russian forces finally seized Maripol last week. Russian forces tried to storm the city that I cannot pronounce, but were unsuccessful and retreated. The city on the banks of the Servesky Donets River that winds through eastern Ukraine been the main Russian target in recent days as Moscow tries to encircle Ukrainian forces. I say give the Ukrainians every damn thing they need to crush these bastards in order to keep this war where it is and to defeat them, the Russians. It's not historically mandated that the Ukrainians lose, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm sick and tired of the fear mongers, the liars, the propagandists, the Putinoids who are pro-Russia, pro-Iran, and now they sound like they're pro-China despite what they've said in the past. These are the people in the Republican Party, in the Democrat Party, and in the media. If they succeed... These are the people who will lead us to a world war. Appeasement in the face of genocidal monsters never works. You can beg for life and they'll laugh at you. They'll kill you on the spot. What do you think the Russians are doing to the Ukrainian civilians? Do you know they're bussing tens of thousands of them out of Ukraine and into Russia? What the hell for? And now that they control Maripol, God only knows the inhumanity they left behind. God only knows what they would do if the entirety of Ukraine was overtaken. We conservatives don't root for fascists and Marxists. That's why I spent the first hour reminding you of what Ronald Reagan had to say. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. We salute our truckers. And our Ukrainian brothers and sisters, there was so much more to cover, but I'll be back tomorrow. Hang in there, America. See you then.